Go with me to Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4, and today, of course, is the Epiphany of the Lord. It's the Feast of the Epiphany, and we are celebrating His appearing, particularly to the Gentiles, and that's good news for us. However, I want to find us and locate us in our Bible, in our Old Testament, in Nehemiah. Uh, We've already heard the readings this morning of the Magi, even of the prophecy of Isaiah. And now I want to connect what we've already heard to what's happening here with Nehemiah. And I'm just going to skip around and then I'm going to kind of talk through the whole chapter. But let us look here at just a few verses. One is 14 and then we'll go 18 to 20. This is Nehemiah speaking, and it's a, it's a brilliant book, uh, truly. If you've never read it, there are points where he's describing things, and then he'll break out into prayer. He's describing things, and then he calls out for help, basically. Or he says, I consulted with myself at that point. And, I mean, it's a very interesting personal book. Certainly you should read it if you've never read it before. Notice 414, and I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives and your homes. Then drop down to 18. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread and we are separated on the wall, far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there, our God will fight for us. Lord, we pray now a blessing on this reading of your word and the hearing and the doing of your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I want Jesus in all of 2019. I need to repeat that again because I, met, I felt alone. Uh, let me, let me, <laughs> felt very alone. I want Jesus in all I do in 2019. Anybody with me? All right, there we go. We got the house with us now. So thanks. We, I think they heard you on Facebook Live. So... But how do we find Christ in 2019? You see, today is the epiphany of the appearing of the Christ to the Magi, who are these, as far as we know, pagans from the east, from Persia. Now, our story today that we just read, just bits and pieces that we'd read, is in Persia. 450 years before the Christ appears. Now, I don't know how your 2019 is shaping up six days in. But for some of you, it may be like a wet blanket. You know what I mean? You ever had somebody throw a wet blanket on what you were doing? Yeah, it's pretty dreary. And it's dampening and maybe depressing. And you know, we just sang this song... Uh, walking around these walls. And, of course, that song was about Joshua, right? And it's this anticipatory time where they're about to, I mean, they're literally heading into Canaan, and he's walking around the walls, and they're going to fall. Nehemiah, I want to submit to you, is on the other side of that. He's on the flip side. He's standing at a wall, 
that's rubble. It's already been destroyed, not by God, the same way Joshua's wall fell, but instead by God's tool of destruction for his own people, if you will, his belt of discipline, Nebuchadnezzar. He burned it to the ground, the temple, and destroyed the walls of Jerusalem. And Nehemiah, being the cupbearer, which was actually a political... He didn't just drink wine all day. It was a political function. Becomes the governor, the new governor of this rubble. And so we enter into the story here a bit about him rebuilding the wall. And, of course, that's one of the things that he's known for, right? I mean, as as a child and as a youth, I remembered Nehemiah because we had this little thing called Nehi, right, Maya? So, like, the, the wall was knee-high, you know, when he got there, but he built the wall. Anyway, that, if you ever wonder, like, who is Nehemiah, maybe you'll remember that now. You know, you're like, I don't want to remember it that way. You know, I, I remembered it fine the other way. Now I've got that stuck in my head. I don't want to do that. But I want to say a few things just from the life of Nehemiah about how to find Christ, even in the rubble, even if 2019 isn't shaping up already like you thought it was. Or, if things are great now, I want to prepare you for what is to come. I like to think of myself as a realist. Here's the first thing. Opposition will come. This chapter begins with three enemies. And we don't have time to go into who they are, historically speaking. But three enemies of this project. Of what Nehemiah is trying to do. And... It's the first three verses there. You'll find it. And here's the thing I can tell you with assurity today is that in 2019, you will face opposition. Anybody with me? Anybody believe that? Is anybody real enough just to go ahead and lay it out there and put it on the table and say, you know what? I know even if today's great, I'm going to face some opposition in 2019 that I'm not even aware of, that I may not want to face. You know, in my thinking, I think in terms of there's really two things from without that can affect us in 2019 or in any year or on any given day. And that is circumstances and people. And oftentimes people put you in circumstances, right? That's really the things that attack us from without. I can't control my circumstances and I cannot control other people. That's two very important things to know in life. It's things that I try to teach my own children because they'll come to me and maybe you remember doing this as a child too. I know I did. He made me do it. And I have to say, no son, he did not. I say son because my daughter never does anything wrong. Um, It's a joke. It's a joke. It's a joke. Okay, chill out. Chill out. I'll get around to disciplining her at some point. Um, But my son will come to me and he'll say, he made me do it. That's why I did it, daddy. And I said, no, 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 son. He presented you with an opportunity. But you did what you did. If you screamed at him or you hit him or you kicked him or threw a shoe at him or who knows what else. You insert it. It's crazy around there sometimes. You did that, son. And there's this moment where they want to reject that. Even though they know they did it. 
And aren't we the same way? I mean, I've done things before and someone pointed out and I wanted to reject that even though I knew I had done it. Anybody ever done that before? I mean, I think we, I think it's, I think I'm in good company. You know what I mean? (laughs) We've all not believed our own evil. And (laughs) there's a lot of opposition that we're going to face and we need to be realists. And when it comes time for us to bite the bullet and say, I did that, we need to own up to it. This is what the scripture calls us to, is to confess our sins. And not only to God, the scripture is clear, confess your sins one to another. That's tough to do. It's easy to confess in private. Me and God, he already knows anyway, right? But it's different to look another man for me, in the eyes, and say, I did that. I did. And the scripture calls us that because it is healing. It's like going to the doctor and not admitting your real symptoms. How then could we be diagnosed properly? The diagnosis happens in confession. God knows, but what he needs us to know is for us to know our own evil. Many times we're unwilling to admit that. Opposition certainly is going to come for all of us from without. People are going to present all kind of crazy situations to us. But it's us who makes the decision how we respond to that. Circumstances out of our control. But it is our responsibility to respond in godly ways. You know, if you look through history, and I'm not going to give a bunch of illustrations, but if you look through history, it's when bad circumstances happen that some people have made the best decisions that have been remembered through the ages. It wasn't in a time where they're skipping through a garden. It's when opposition comes. Opposition presents us with a moment, just a small window, to trust God. And trust we must. But there's also another type of opposition. Not just circumstances or people, but it's from within. And sometimes we're our worst enemy, not even other people, not even certain, but us. My professor used to always quote some movie that I've never looked up, but he said, the enemy, or we found the enemy, and the enemy is us. We're sometimes our worst enemy. I just wrote down a few things that I know I've seen in people's life. I've seen these things destroy a life. And I want to share them with you. Bitterness is going to come your way. There's going to be opportunities to allow bitterness to grow in our life. And if we pet it and if we water it, it will grow and it will get out of control. It will suffocate the life out of you. It's a dangerous seed. It could be one word from someone that is planted in you that grows into this thing that you can't control. Don't let bitterness control you. The scripture says do not give space to the root of bitterness. Doubt. Doubt is this silent whisperer. Always on our shoulder, whispering. No, he can't. No, he won't. He doesn't have your best interest in mind. 
You know what's best for you. You know your body better than anybody else. You know what you need. That's doubt, friends. That's the enemy. And we must say no or we become cynical about God, about life, about his plan for us. We begin to see the world through cynical eyes. Doubting everything. Lust kills love. Lust is a passion that when turned to godliness is zeal. But left unattended will burn the house down. Pride. You know, I I think... um, I think for me, maybe, maybe not for you, but for me, a good measurement of whether you're prideful or not is to ask you, if we were to be honest with each other, and, and I just simply ask you, what happens when somebody points out that you're wrong? How, do you respond joyfully to that? <laughs> Thank you so much. I, I've been meaning to get that right. Or is it this cover-up? I didn't say that. No, no, that's not, that's not what I said. No, I, th- I think you misheard. Misunderstood. It becomes all the other person's problem. No, pride says the focus is I. And I is at the center of sin. Slothfulness. Interesting, I looked up sloth and it said an American mammal that, you know, and I didn't realize it was an American beast. I was like, wow, that's, that's interesting. Um, maybe Americans, because we are so lucrative, can be lazy. Now you say, well, I go to work, man. I work all the time. That's not the kind of laziness I'm talking about. I'm talking about laziness to do the will of God. I mean, I care about your job, but I care about the kingdom in your life even more than your job. God can give you a new job just like this, but not if you're lazy to do his will. Envy, being discontent with what you have and resentful for what other people have. Don't, don't let that enemy live inside of you in 2019. And then the last one, (laughs) it's my favorite one I'm going to share, is stiff-necked. This is a term from the Old Testament. You remember, if you've ever read the Old Testament, you'll come across this term. God God typically will say of his own people, his own children, they're a stiff-necked people, right? And you you just immediately get this picture of maybe a horse or a donkey, right? And just, you're like, Left, left, <laughs> you know, it reminds me, back when we were kids, we took a trip to North Carolina, and we did this uh, horseback riding, you know, up in the mountains and everything, and um, so I'm on my horse, you know, I'm like, you know, this is the first time I've ever really ridden a horse and all, so I'm riding, and here goes Justin, full full speed ahead, <laughs> I'm like, where's he going, Daddy? And Daddy's like, what in the world, son? son. He's like, ah, you know, and he's just a little kid. The horse struck out, took across this field. The, the the lead person had to go get him. I don't, I don't, 
I don't ever know how, we'll have to ask him later how it actually ended. I, I was like, where's he going? I was just confused. You know? I feel like that's how God is sometimes. He's like, hey, I'm leading the way over here. Why are you way out there in left field? What are you doing? And we just, I want to go this way. We get a stiff nap. You know, but there's hope for us. Some of us are very stubborn. Some of us have a stiff neck. And we're like a donkey. But there's good news for donkeys because Jesus rode one before he was ever born into Jerusalem with Mary and Joseph. And he rode one into Jerusalem for the last time to go to the cross. And you know what? The donkey plays a significant part. This what they call the beast of burden. Plays a significant part in the Bible. And so can we. He can turn that stiff neckedness into pliability and obedience in the right direction. I mean, be stiff necked for God. You see what I'm saying? Like, not for yourself, but for the things of God. Don't we need people like that who are willing to only go God's way? Only think about God. Well, we're going to meet opposition. But we can find Christ, get this, even in the rubble. Even in the opposition. Maybe especially in the rubble of life. Maybe especially when our enemies are coming against us. Maybe especially when we feel the enemy inside of us. Because he's the one who calls us to purity. He can purify that whole list I just gave and turn those things and transform those things, clean them up into something beautiful. He doesn't just lay a blanket over it and say, voila. Instead, he transforms it from the inside out. But it's not going to happen if you don't pray. And that's exactly what Nehemiah does. As soon as he gets opposition, he prays. Verse 4 and 5. Uh, before anything and in everything, we must pray. For 2019, I would just say, that's where you need to plant your flag. I'm going to pray about it. He said, I need a new car. Pray about it. I think I might need to move. Pray about it. I think my kids are out of control. Pray about it. I don't know if I'm a good parent. Pray about it. You say, I don't know how to pray. Pray about it. You follow what I'm saying? I can keep going. I think everybody's got me now. But you pray about it. How do you learn to pray? You pray. You don't read books about... I'll tell you what... The, <laughs> This is kind of funny to me, at least. Um, so, well, there's a lot of things at work here. But I think if you know me well, you'll know why I'm saying this. But I don't really like to go and do what other people are doing. So people get all these nice workout equipment, right? I don't get nice workout equipment until I prove to myself over like a six-month period that I'm actually going to do it. You see, I use the cheap stuff, the, the awful shoes, whatever, until I prove to myself that I'm actually in the game. I don't get all the good equipment and then move on. You know what? That's the way prayer works. You can buy a hundred books on prayer. You can get a dadgum PhD in prayer and not know how to pray. And not pray. The way you learn to pray is to pray. You just simply do it. Just start talking to God and don't ever stop. Lord, I don't know what I'm doing. That's a great start. That's probably the best way to start. It's the person who would say... I know how to do this already. I don't need to pray. That's going the wrong direction. 
I didn't know, when I first met Jessica, I didn't know what all to say. But I started talking to her, and you know what? Almost 15 years later, I'm still talking to her. I just never stopped. And you know what? That's what God wants from us, isn't it? Pray and don't stop. That's what the scripture calls us to. And we must. That's the first thing. Not the last thing we go to. We so often wait till everything falls apart. And then we cry out to go, oh Lord, help us up. No, no, no. Let's get ahead of this thing. We already know we're going to face opposition, right? Then let's pray. Let's pray for our children before they get in a bad situation. Let's pray for our marriage before it's too late. Let's pray for our church. Pray for our city. Pray as you drive to work. Pray as you come back to work. Or back from work. Like, man, I never feel like I leave. So, Well, pray that you can leave. No, I mean, you just... Nehemiah is building a wall. <laughs> and we need certain walls in our life. Now, that's not politically charged. It's kingdom charged. And here's why. Purpose of... Re- Building the wall, the right kind of wall, is their identity. Their identity had been destroyed. And Nehemiah comes along and builds this wall back up. And it is a symbol to them that they are actually a city. This is us. That's not us. It's just like my house. It's okay to sort of walk in my yard. I don't like people to do it when it's been so wet. But it's okay, really. I wouldn't, you know, if somebody like walked to, through part of my yard, I really wouldn't think much of it. However, if you just walked into my house through the door, which we'd kind of consider here the gate, that would be a whole different story. You might meet some things that you might not like if you, you know, shouldn't be there, for instance. Hey, you might meet a hug, you know, I don't know. Or a tackle. It just depends. But either way... The gate is a biblical idea. The door, Jesus says, I am the door. Anybody remember that? Notice this, (laughs) however, the law for them was the wall. It was the wall of their identity, the law was. And yet it had been broken down. You remember that Ezra finds the law, and I just read even this morning and yesterday in my personal reading, that Nehemiah, they read the law and the people weep and they confess and they repent. The law for them was their identity. But get this. Jesus, in Ephesians 2.14, Paul says, Jesus breaks down the wall of hostility. If you're talking about a hostile wall in your life, that's not what we're talking about. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about creating our identity in Christ to say this. I am his and I am not that stuff. That's the kind of wall he wants to build around us is to say, you know what, the enemy's not coming in here. But all the nations are welcome. You see, this was never to be exclusive. Election in the Bible was never for exclusivity. It was for inclusiveness of all nations and all peoples. That's what Jesus does. And that's what the kingdom is. That's why I said earlier in my prayer... It is borderless, the kingdom is, nationless, because it's all nations. It's all borders, because it's his world, not mine, not America's, not yours. So, 
Ezra helps them build the spiritual wall. Nehemiah helps them build the physical wall for their identity. And we need those same kind of symbols in our life. That's why today we're going to do the same thing. I'm calling you to confess your sins. I'm calling you to repent of them and to believe on the Lord Jesus and walk faithfully with him. That's the spiritual part. The physical part is, in a moment, we're going to touch water to remind us of our baptism. We're going to take bread, drink from the cup physically to show us who we are. That's the kind of walls Jesus is building in Madison to welcome all people to his table. While in Mexico to visit Brandon, uh, Aaron will remember this, we were sitting there just talking whatever in the house, and they have gated uh, houses and all in the city. And there was a drunk man that walked in. And they were all like, oh, hey, 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 sir, what's, uh, what's, what's going on here? He's like, I'm hungry. I'm like, okay, well, sit down. They fed him, sent him on his way, you know. And uh, that's the kind of work they're doing. They're bringing in, they have the gate there, yeah, but it's open for those who would come. And you know what? It's open for sinners like me, like you, like the ones out here who may not even know yet how good God is. That's why he gave us this place. This place is to proclaim his light to the nations. All nations. All peoples. We let the government do their thing and we abide by their laws as long as they don't contradict this law. But there's a higher law than government law. Because there's a kingdom that will have no end. You must be a part of that kingdom. In the book, there's more, or in the chapter, there's more opposition And guess what he does? He prays. Because you can find Christ in the storm. There's also doubts from within that he meets in 10 through 13. And there's threats from without. You know, people don't want the best for you sometimes. I don't know if you know that or not. I don't know why, uh, you know, but they don't want the best for you. Right now we're seeing this in China. The house churches there and the public churches there are under severe persecution. Churches being burned before Christmas. One of the one of the mega church pastors arrested. He had already written out a statement because he felt like he was going to be arrested. That has been read all over uh, the world now. There's opposition that's coming, and I wonder because there's not that kind of government opposition here. I think some of us are just asleep at the wheel, which is just as dangerous. We think we're in the kingdom when we're actually outside the gate. There's no protection for that. When he blows the trumpet, remember the trumpet being sounded here in Nehemiah? There's going to be a trumpet that blows, you understand, right? And all the dead in Christ will rise. And we who remain will go meet him in the air. (laughs) But not if you're not in his kingdom. You will not. Jesus is the only door. Four fourteen says, Remember the Lord. He tells him, Remember the Lord. Do not fear why, because we remember Yahweh. We remember his mighty acts. You know what? Next time the enemy throws in your face your past, 
just remind him. <laughs> now, you say remind him of his future, right? But remind yourself of the Lord's goodness. Remind yourself of the story that we hold as Christians. And as Nehemiah says in 4.15, give glory to God and keep working. He's got a shovel in one hand and a sword in the other. That's kind of pastoral ministry right there. We're building things and we're protecting from the enemy. It's exactly what we do as parents, as disciples. Even in organizing and communicating with one another, as what happens in 16 through 23, Christ is in the midst of our organizing. What is your calendar this year organized around? Making more money? Is that going to last? Popularity? Fame? We should organize around Christ. What about our communication? Is our communication bathed in Christ? Or in what we want to say? Help us speak the words of life in this house and outside these walls. Confess, repent, believe, walk, repeat. Right? Confess, repent, believe, walk. Keep doing it over and over. It's not too late. Let's this year put a premium on virtue. It's great to lose weight. It's great to have a great savings account and, 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 and tighten up your budget and do all this kind of What about virtue? What about being a virtuous person? That's something that today stands out, isn't it? It absolutely does. God is faithful. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. He's generous. Are we? Have we let him be to us? If not, come today. Renew your faith today through baptism. Restart this year. Reaffirm those baptismal vows. And find Christ in 2019. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.